Today we are beginning a new series through the life of Abraham. And we're calling it Like the Stars. Because as many of you know in the story of Abraham, God makes a promise to this significant figure in history. And he tells them that even though he and his wife Sarah have been unable to have children, even until the, into their old age, God makes a promise to them that they will become a great nation. People who have no offspring at all, he says, will become a great nation. And I, through my miraculous strength, will make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky. Like the stars. And I can't help but imagine every time Abraham looked up into the sky, he could see God's love put up in lights there for him and God's promise and God's faithfulness to him, a reminder of God's faithfulness and what God's promises can do, like the stars. We're going to study over the next several weeks this person of Abraham, who is not just an important person in Scripture, but he stands tall on the, on the whole landscape of history, right? Three of the most prominent and influential religions of the world trace their origins back to this one person. And his influence and his impact is still being felt today. Everywhere we look, we see the result of Abraham. Everywhere we look. And one thing that dawned on me this week for the first time was that for the first time in Scripture, it's in Abraham's story that we see the mention of a particular city that is important through Scripture but is even still important in the world today. It's an Abraham story that we see for the first time in Scripture, the mention of a city called Damascus, which today is the capital of modern-day Syria. So let's pause right now and let's pray for a moment, okay? Father, we ask today for your wisdom for our leaders and for the leaders of the international community and for the leaders of the world. We ask today that you would surround them with wise counsel and that you would speak to them yourself and be their own wise counsel, your voice speaking to them. God, we pray for your children everywhere in the world and pray that you would bring peace in the middle of chaos. No one can do that except you. So we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. So this person of Abraham, an, an important figure all the way through scripture, an important figure in the history of the entire world, right? And of the entire world. This is, this is an incredible story. It's a, it's a story of Abraham's compromise at times and a story of God's promise to him. It's a story of Abraham's fear. It's a story of Abraham's failures. But emerging out of all of that and rising above all of that, this becomes a story of Abraham's faith. But even more than that, a story of God's faithfulness. 
And that's what we have to remember as we get into this story. The story of Abraham. It starts here in chapter 12 in the book of Genesis. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And here in chapter 12, we pick up the story of Abraham. Now, at the beginning, he's referred to as Abram. And his wife, Sarah, is referred to as Sarai. Because as God makes his promises to them and makes this incredible covenant with them, as a sign of that covenant, he changes their names as a sign of just how transformational this is going to be for them and for the entire world. But at this point, we know him as Abram and we know his wife as Sarai, okay? So today we're going to look at the first four verses of chapter 12 here. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. And verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. All right, this incredible story of Abraham. And here's where it begins in the first four verses of chapter 12. But if we are honest, we have to take a little step back and realize that Abraham's story doesn't really start here. Okay, the, the roots of Abraham's family are influential into who he's going to become. So to really understand him, I want us to take a, a little bit of a step back, actually, back into chapter 11, verses 27 through 31. So we can understand where Abram is coming from. So here in chapter 12, we have God calling Abram to take him to the land of Canaan. Even though he doesn't know exactly where he's going yet, that's going to be the destination that God leads him to. But before that happens, let's look a little bit at Abram's family tree, a little bit of his genealogy, okay? Because that's always so much fun, right? Okay, you're you're riveted right now. You are ready for this, okay? So, Abram's father, it says, was a man named Terah, okay? And Terah had three sons. Abram, Nahor, and Haran, okay? Now, to kind of complete the... Help us understand the the kind of other important characters that come into play. Abram marries Sarai. And another important person that comes into play here is Haran's son, Lot. Okay? So here we go. Terah, the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Okay? Interesting. So what we find out next is that tragically, Haran dies okay he passes away before his father does and this is a heartbreaking thing for his father to experience the pain of losing a child the pain of losing a child and this has a massive impact on Tara because here's the thing parents are not meant to outlive their children and it is a tragedy when we see a parent who has to bury a child. This is a tragedy, a tragedy. And it is that way in the life of Terah. Haran, his son, dies. 
What happens next after the death of his son is that Haran, uh, Terah decides to leave the country that is his home, okay? So he is raised up and he is from this place called Ur and he decides to pick up his family and to leave. And he takes them headed on a journey to a place called Canaan, which is really interesting because normally when we hear this story, we just think that Abram is the first one in his family on this journey to Canaan, right? But apparently his father had already started this journey. And we always talk about that God calls Abram out of Ur and and into Canaan. But the truth is his father had already started that journey for him. So his father picks up his family and he begins to move towards Canaan. And he's on the journey, but something stops him. Along the way, he stops. He doesn't make it all the way to Canaan. Do you know what stops him? He arrives at a town where he decides to stop and to settle. And it's a town called Haran. So this father who loses his son, who has to deal with the tragedy of this death of his son, packs up his family and moves to this brand new place and is moving to this new start. And somewhere along the way about, you know, somewhere along the journey, he stops because he runs into a city that has the same name as his son. And it says, Terra stops and he settles there. And that is where Terra dies. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. Is it possible that what we have right here is a journey that is cut short? He doesn't get all the way to Canaan. It's a journey that gets cut short because what we have here is a life that's been cut short. And the pain of that and the tragedy of that freezes him in that moment. And it freezes the forward motion of his life. And he stops there and he settles there. Parents are not meant to outlive their children. It's a tragedy anytime a parent has to bury a child. I can't imagine anything more difficult in this world than carrying the pain of that. And the weight of that pain stops him. A deep wound from the past stops him. And the journey is left unfinished. Here's the thing. God is not heartless. God is not cold towards the pain that Tara is feeling, towards the loss that Tara has felt in his life. In fact... What we're dealing with here is a God who will know what it is to see a son suffer death and be laid into a grave. God is not heartless in that. God has compassion. And when we find ourselves stuck because of a deep wound of the past, maybe we're moving forward, but something stops us as that pain is awoken in us. God has compassion. 
God has compassion. But God also offers something even more than compassion. He offers us healing. He offers us healing for the pain. Time doesn't heal all wounds. That's a lie. Time does not heal all wounds. But God heals all wounds. And God does not say to us, when we find ourselves stuck in a pain from the past, God does not say to us, get over it and move on. He doesn't say that. But instead, he says, let me help you get through it as you keep moving with me. Some of you in this room are stuck. Some of you are stuck. You've started out, but you are now stuck because of a deep wound or pain from the past. And it has you frozen. God is saying to you today, I'm not telling you to get over it and move on. I'm telling you with a heart of compassion and with the hope of healing, let me get you through it. Keep moving with me. Put one foot in front of the other and continue to follow me and I will lead you into a season of healing in your life if you will trust me with this pain. Trust me with this pain. And I will bring a healing in it. Sometimes the greatest single step of faith is exactly that. A single step. A single step. God says, let me get you through it. So as we move on and we move into Abraham's story, we see here that God picks up this with Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to take you to a land that I will show you. We know that it ends up being Canaan, but he doesn't tell Abraham that up front, right? And he says, follow me, leave behind the country that you've known, follow me and I will lead you into this place, the place that I will show you. And when you get there, I will bless you. I will bless you. And he says, I will make your name great. I will make your name great. Which is an interesting thing for God to say in Genesis chapter 12. Because once again, looking back to Genesis chapter 11, we find the story that we talked about last week, the Tower of Babel. Okay? Now our friend uh, Thomas Irby preached last week and he tackled this incredible story and he did a really good job with it. And I respect him for three things. Number one, he handled a very difficult passage really well. Number two, it's like one of the first times he's really preached and he decided to pick one of the hardest stories in the entire Bible to explain. All right. And number three, he got through an entire sermon on the Tower of Babel without making one single reference to the last Mumford and Sons album. And that had to be hard, right? That has to be hard, okay? So he handled this really well. But here's the deal with that story. It tells us that the people there decided they wanted to make their name great. So they decided to build a great city that would bring glory to themselves and to bring a tower that stretched to the sky, right? And their motivation behind it was to make their own names great. And God's response to that was to, was to divide them and to scatter them. Okay, so their desire to make their names great brought from God division and scattering of the people. 
But now, look, just one chapter later, look what God is saying to Abraham. It's an interesting contrast. Now God is saying, I will make your name great. I will make your name great. In contrast to the motivation of the, of the people before. Also in contrast, when God brings division and scatters them, now God says, as I make your name great, I will also unite the entire world through your blessing. And he says there in it that the whole world, all the people of the earth, will be blessed because of you. Because of one of those stars in the sky, because of your offspring, because I will bring the Messiah, I will bring redemption, I will bring salvation to the world through you. I'm blessing you to do that. I'm blessing you to do that. And so it's the reversal of what happens at Babel. Now God is making Abram's name great, making Abraham's name great. And he's uniting the entire world through the redemption that he's going to bring through Abraham. Another interesting piece here is when God tells Abraham that he's going to bless him, he doesn't just say, I will bless you, but he says this, you will be a blessing. I will bless you, and as a result, you will be a blessing. Now, we have to understand this as we look at this idea of the chosen people throughout the history of Scripture. And as we talk about people who are believers in Jesus Christ and are a part of that heritage now today, here's something that we have to understand. We have to understand this, that the chosen people are not chosen for their own sake. The chosen people are not chosen for their own sake. They are chosen for the sake of God's glory and for the sake of the world's salvation. That's why they are chosen. That's why they are chosen. And you have to understand this. If you're living in the blessing of a relationship with Jesus Christ, that is not about you. That is not about you. You haven't even brought into that relationship just for the sake of yourself. It's for the sake of God's glory, and it's for the sake of the world around you. He wants to make himself known to you, but he wants you to make him known to the world around you. It's not about you. It's not about you. One of the things I love about a gathering here on Sunday morning is we have people coming from all kinds of backgrounds and coming from all kinds of places. So we will have people in here this morning who are skeptical of Christianity. And maybe you are here kind of to check it out and to see like exactly what things are all about. Okay. But, but in your heart, you're pretty skeptical about all of this. Okay. Maybe some of you are curious about it and, and you've heard rumors of Jesus and you want to come and see what Jesus is about. So you decided to be in here to try to, to try to understand that this morning. If that's you, either one of those, you are welcome here. You belong here. This place is for you. And we're glad that you're here. Okay? And we pray that God will continue to draw him to yourself as you search that out. And we believe that he will do that. And he wants to do that. And bring you into relationship with him. Maybe you're here because you've been hurt by the church in the past. And, and, and you're giving it another try. And you're slowly stepping back into it to see, like, let's, let's try this again and let's see what happens. You are welcome here. 
And I hope what you find here is an embrace of welcome. And we will do our best to represent the true heart of Christianity through that. But there are also people in here who have grown up in Christianity. You know it inside and out, right? You live it. You know it. And let me tell you, if that's you this morning, I want to talk to you for just a moment and speak pretty bluntly to you for just a second, okay? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then be careful and beware that you do not let your place with God become a source of pride for you. Do not let your place with God become a source of pride for you. It is not about you. It is about him and it is about other people around you. It's for his glory and for the sake of the world. We see through the Gospels that Jesus reserves his most harsh and most heated criticism and critique for the spiritual leaders of the community. Not for the sinners who are like out on, on the fringes and, and the people that you would normally look at and be like, man, they are so far from God. No, we find Jesus sitting with them, eating with them, having such a relationship and being so connected with them that that was one of the, the major pieces of evidence that they held against him leading to his death. The people that he reserved his most harsh and most heated critique for were the spiritual leaders who had all the right answers to all the right questions, who took all the right positions on all the right issues. And when the lines were drawn, they were fully confident that they were standing right where they needed to be. And it's those people that Jesus seems to zero in on and say, beware that you do not let the blessing of God in your life become a source of pride. Do not take pride in your place with God. Grace should humble us because we realize we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. It should humble us. Be careful and beware of that. And understand that if you're living in the blessing of a relationship with God, ask God how you can be a blessing to other people. Because it's not about you. It is not about you. Jesus went after the people who took pride in being children of Abraham and the elect of God. He went after them and said, watch out for your pride. Watch out for your pride. Because it can be dangerous to your soul. It can be dangerous to your heart. Grace should humble us. Grace should humble us. And if we have experienced grace, then we should be the most gracious and grace-filled people around they took pride in their place with God. And Jesus zeroed in on that. So God says to Abram, you will be blessed, but not just for your own sake, for the sake of the whole world. You will be a blessing. You will be a blessing to the entire world. I will make your name great. I will unite the world through you. And I will bring redemption to the world through you. And there in that he just gives him, as a part of this, he gives him no details about where he's going. He only gives him one detail, and it says, you're going to go to the place that I will show you. He doesn't tell him what he's going to encounter 
on the way. He doesn't tell them how he's going to get there, how it's all going to play out. He just says, go to the place that I will show you. That's difficult. That's difficult to walk like that, isn't it? Because we want to we say, well, where? And God says, where I show you, all right? Well, like, when will you show me? When we get there, all right? Right? Well, okay, well, how will we get there? With you following me. One step, one foot in front of the other. One foot in front of the other. The greatest single step of faith sometimes is just that one single step. Go and I will show you. This is difficult. This is difficult because now Abram stands at the crossroads of fear and of faith. He stands at this place of crossroads between fear and faith. And this is where those two part. And he has to make a decision between fear and between faith. When God gives you a clear direction, but without a clear destination, then you are standing at the crossroads of fear and faith. And he's asking you one thing. Go and I will show you. Go and I will show you. Some of you are standing there right now today. You have a clear direction. You know what God wants you to do, but you don't have a clear destination. You don't know how he's going to accomplish it. And the fear of that unknown has you paralyzed. And you're saying, I can't move right now. I can't move. Not until you show me a little bit more. But God is saying, I will show you when we get there. I will show you when we get there. And you'll find that the more steps you take with him, the more he begins to open that up, the more you're able to see as he leads you into it. There's a story about some of the first Christian missionaries to ever take the gospel to Sierra Leone. And as they were preparing to go, they didn't know much about what was ahead of them. They didn't really know how the gospel was going to be received. They didn't know what kind of impact or what kind of resistance the gospel would produce in the people there. They didn't know much about what was ahead, but they knew they had a calling to take the gospel to that place. And so they followed that and they went. And as they packed up their belongings to go and they loaded their belongings on the ships and they began to tell say goodbye to their family and, and to their home. As they loaded their, their things on, on the ship, they didn't, not, they didn't pack their belongings in suitcases or in trunks or in boxes or bags. Instead, they packed what they owned for the journey in their own coffins. They packed what they owned for the, what they were taking for their journey in their own coffins. They were not sure exactly what was ahead of them, but they knew one thing. God was telling them to go, and they would not be turning back. They would not be turning back. Where are you right now? Some of you are stuck at that crossroads between fear and faith. Maybe it's a hurt from the past, a wound from the past, that is keeping you from trusting and taking that next step. And it has you frozen. You're at that crossroads of fear and faith. What are the voices that you're listening to? Who 
has the swing vote in your life? What are you waiting for? What are you afraid of? God is saying when you're standing at that crossroads of fear and faith, when you're at that place where you know you've got a clear direction, but you don't have a clear destination yet, when you know what God wants you to do, but you don't know how he's going to do it, God has one thing to say to us through the example of Abram. And it's in verse 4, and we're just ending with this this morning. We're closing with this. Standing at the crossroads of fear and faith without knowing the full destination, but having a clear direction. Here's what it says in verse 4 is his response. So Abram went as the Lord told him. Amen.